You're listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast with your host, Lori Rowlandson. Hey everyone, today I'm so very honored to have my guest here today, Tony Gill. Tony, there's so many ways I could introduce you. My friend, uh, my past coworker, you're an incredible entrepreneurial spirit. You're a great advisor and consultant, maybe a little bit of a pirate as well because of that Gen X factor and uh, constantly ideated and innovated yourself for the, all the years that I've known you. So how would you describe yourself, Tony? Welcome to the show. Um, uh, thanks, Lori. And by the way, it's a pleasure to be here. And not only were, were we co-workers, you were actually my boss. So we spent <laughs> a lot of time together uh, batting around ideas. But um, yeah, the description's fairly uh, uh, fairly accurate, is that I am an entrepreneur. I spent uh, about 15 years working in corporate real estate. That's always been a core interest of mine, but um, uh, particular interest in, in, in uh, risk management, how that uh, affects real estate technology and for the last couple of years I've been building a, a, techno, a, a technology application which uh, we just got our first beta customer so we're uh, we're working on that right now but uh, it is a lot of fun and, and I'm really happy to be here. One of the things I always ask my guest Tony and I have to ask you this because uh, I know your career path has not been a straight line and I've yet to meet, have a guest on the show that has had a straight line but you know, you have such an accomplished career. And if you don't know Tony, go check him out on his LinkedIn profile. Um, how did you get to what you're doing now? I'm, I'm always just so fascinated in the career path. Like what steps did you take? What turns did you take? Could you maybe just tell us about how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, I think that when I was a, a, an aimless kid and everything growing up in Toronto, the one thing is that my... Uh, <clears throat> My parents had a rental property, so I was actually the person who actually managed um, their uh, repairs, leases, um, tenant disputes, and this would be like oftentimes when I'd ride on my bike. But uh, I got really sick of real estate, and I said that, okay, I'm going to become more normal. And when I went to uh, university, I uh, studied English. I worked in publishing when I first got out, and then when I went back to business school, I actually went back to my love, which was kind of real estate and finance. So um, I've been around real estate for as long as, I, as long as I have. It was interesting. And I actually happened to be just outside of New York on 9-11. And um, it was, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was transformational in the sense that I was thinking about it from a real estate perspective. Um, if I owned real estate and I had a portfolio that was concentrated in a large city, what would be uh, the impact on the value. And from there, there was just a million things which just came from it. Risk management came from it, the idea of telework, technology, many things which we've kind of seen slowly uh, adopted by large enterprise, but it's taken many, many years. And I think that what we're experiencing today is kind of a catalyst where a lot of these things are actually finally coming together. That's a great topic, Tony, because I think with the situation with COVID, uh, one of the, the one things I wonder about is what kind of an indelible mark will it leave on our future? One of the things I always admired about you is you were a, a, a futurist and some of the earlier things that you did in your career, we have continued to benefit and build on that you know, we didn't realize it at the time to your point around 9-11 but that left an indelible mark around our security industry, 
um, risk management. Like it really woke us up on a whole bunch of topics that we became better at as a result. And I think we're in one of those times now where we're jumping the curve and evolving very quickly out of necessity, but at a scale I think that's been unprecedented, at least not that I recall, maybe, maybe what you recall. Yeah, um, it's interesting because I think that in order for us to really think about where the future is going, is that you know, if we can kind of string together a number of observations and things that we've seen, which kind of lead us up to this point, um, you know, you can kind of like, uh, I think, make some projections. And, you know, I'll just start like one thing about 9-11, and it's, it's, it's interesting, is that when, when that happened, you know, you, you, you think about resilient companies. What are the companies that can really, um, that have really planned well, uh, they know how to, they're kind of for, uh, future looking. And it's kind of ironic, but at the time, one of the most uh, forward looking companies, at least in, on that day, was Lehman Brothers, which happened to have gone down during the, the, the financial crisis. But when a lot of, um, one of their main offices was actually down in, uh, in lower Manhattan. But unlike a lot of companies that were trying to figure out what do we do, what do we do, um, a lot of the employees at Lehman, what they did on that day is that they, they had a plan to kind of get on a boat, go across the, uh, uh, the Hudson River to uh, a location that they had in New Jersey, and they were up and running within two hours. And they actually, from that, there was also technology solutions that they came up with. So, you know, Lehman Brothers, it was a really, really early example before we had a, a lot of the things that, that we have today. But from that, you can really kind of see that, you know, when COVID hit, for instance, one of the first things that people were told was, is that, okay, you know, we got to go home and we have to kind of make the best of it. But if we just compare our circumstances today to like all the technology we have, how digitally savvy we may be, it's kind of remarkable to think that a company like that, that, that many years ago had such a plan. But from that, there have been pieces that have built, that have built. I will say one thing is that, you know, the um, isolation or the prospect of isolation has always been this thing that, you know, you know, um, back then is like, well, you know, we don't really, we're not really going to be able to work from lots of distances because of the isolation. And there's been this assumption over the last couple of years that actually we could overcome this because we have all these applications. But a really big thing that has really emerged now is that even though we've got the best whiz bang applications and we've got Zoom and we've got Google applications and all sorts of things and Teams, is that still one of the really big effects that people are feeling right now over the last couple of months has been isolation. And I think that as, as kind of thought leaders and everything too, we have to kind of look what are the types of tips and strategies that we can uh, use to kind of overcome that type of thing. And I think it's still a real challenge. I totally agree. This is really, I mean, again, one of the benefits, I think, of uh, the most recent situation with COVID is it's really put in the spotlight mental health at work. And, you know, working in isolation, and we are social creatures, even the introverts in us are social creatures, we crave that interaction. And it's nice to have that time to retreat, but you can't be like that all the time. And we you know, it's hard for us to ideate and, you know, feed off of each other with ideas. And a lot of our interactions have been very utilitarian, right? If I have a question, I will call you. And then once I get the answer, I'll hang up. 
Whereas if I see you in the hall, hey, Tony, how are your kids? How are you doing? What'd you do this weekend? Oh, I read this cool book and oh my God, tell me about this book. You know, you, you miss some of the learnings and the casual interaction that I know I was very fortunate early in my career. I worked alongside some completely brilliant people and I didn't realize it at the time and how much I learned from osmosis. And that is something I worry about with this next generation as we get into more virtual work as to how they're going to learn, how they're going to, you know, be effective presenters when we are, you know, relying so much on technology and not enough in person. And I don't want to lose that particular ability because it is an important part of how we relate to each other, how we influence each other. You know, that, that, that utilitarian point that you made, I mean, that's so true. Um, if we just think about the interactions that we have within the workplace, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that spark of interaction, you know, whether it's, you know, I mean, and, and you probably heard the expression too, is that, you know, over the last couple of years, there's been many spaces within, within uh, uh, you know, within offices that are designed specifically for casual collisions. Because the thing is, is that exactly what you say, people bump into each other and it's not just that, you know, there's an interaction, but you're, you're inspired by something. It's like, hey, you know what, what, what Lori was just talking about. There's so many times that we will take those little ideas that were improvised that came out of nowhere and what they can do, they have the ability to sharpen the types of ideas that we take back to our desk and, and make things better. And the thing is, is that we really do need that because I think, as you say, if we, if we leave that interaction as just being kind of utilitarian, we lose a really big thing. So that real challenge is, is that how do we kind of regain that? I did an exercise one time with uh, one of my guests, Duncan Wardle, who was, um, I can't remember his title exactly, but he was a senior person at Disney and uh, he was one of their Imagineers and did their training. And one of the exercises he goes through is when's, when's the last time you had a really great idea and where were you? And uh, often it's not even in the office, it's doing some other task, but uh, the casual collisions, the casual conversations are, you know, if you, if you say, okay, at 9 p.m., I'm gonna lock myself at my desk and I'm going to come up with a brilliant idea. Like our minds just don't work like that. They need to be a lot more sporadic and interactive. And so as a champion of innovation, I do worry about that. And so we're gonna have to be a lot more intentional around how we have those interactions. I've also been using a lot more technology and collaborative online tools that are fun and you know, experimenting with those as well. And, and they're good, again, for a certain purpose, but I don't think anything really substitutes that in person. And yeah. I, I don't ever see us really, like people are saying, you know, so dramatic, death of the office and things like that. I don't think, I don't really foresee that, but I do see a very different um, level of engagement and interaction at the office, for sure. Well, it's funny, is it? I, I actually, I, one of my uh, work experiences, I spent five years with a large uh, company that had, um, I think, a very conservative um, reputation and everything. And, you know, obviously, you probably hear about this too, but demographic, changing demographics is massive right now because the skill sets that companies need in order to remain competitive is that they want their, I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like a cliche, but this race for talent is a real thing. Is it, how is it that we um, kind of like 
you know, repurpose ourselves in order that we can kind of attract really, really great people. And this company that I worked for, they found that a really good way to do that was actually space. It was changing the way in which the space looked, the way that it felt, the way that we, that we interacted with it, is that certainly there's a cost savings component to it. But, you know, there were all these like funky little areas that, that, that never existed before, that people would just be kind of sitting there and you'd have like technology that you could kind of carry with you. And the degree to which someone who you know, you maybe worked on a project with them in the past, they come down, they sit down, you have a coffee, you are kind of going back and forth, but you're, that, the whole way in which idea exchange can take place, that was a real pull for companies. So the thing is, is that, you know, I, I don't think that it's an all or nothing thing. I think that, that space does play something. And the idea of purpose-built space, I think, will play an important role, but we just have to kind of see where the chips will lie, you know, going forward. I think so, too. You know, what's so interesting about your bird's eye view of the last years and the way that we work, Tony, and being so much at the front, I'd love to pick your brain about this period of transformation and what we're going through now and just hear from you, what, what do you think is going to change permanently? Like, what are your predictions of things that you think are going to be different in how we go back to work? Um, I, I think that really, um, I, I mean, personally, I just think that uh, if we're to look at, at Silicon Valley, for instance, and just the way in which a lot of companies fundamentally change the structure and the, the way in which they worked. So if we go back to the 90s, um, many of the companies that became very successful over there, that their entire management structures kind of flattened. So there was a lot more of a flattening because I think more of a vertical structure lends itself to, okay, you are in this one office and this is where you are going to do your work. So therefore it does lend itself to, to more layers of management. Whereas if you actually kind of look at um, not only the fact that we're kind of more spread out and everything, you de is it, I think that we can learn a lot from a lot of those technology companies. So I think that for some organizations, especially kind of old economy organizations, they're very reliant on command and control structures, which are actually kind of based on military, and, and it makes a lot of sense, is that you're, go you, you know, I think something will be a flattening. And I think that part of that also ties in with demographics too, is that the thing is, is that, is that the types of, um, and, and I've heard this, but there, the, you know, I think by 2025, there's a number of jobs that will be out there which haven't, haven't even been created today. So you can't necessarily pigeonhole a completely new working environment into that old structure. So I think that your number one thing is going to be management change. And I think, within that management change too, is that you have to, you know, the degree of engagement that you have, making people feel uh, part of the organization that they're with, I think that's a really big thing. So that engagement piece, again, it always kind of comes back to that as well. So flattening and uh, greater engagement. Yeah, I totally agree. I, and I think you probably made quite a few designers smile with your answer as well, because I think what we're seeing now is, um, an accelerated movement towards that agile workplace, right? Like, but it, it's true definition, not just one floor or work setting. It'll really be how you build in that resilient space. You remember back in the day, Tony, what we would do is we would, when we refreshed a space, we probably only did it maybe every 15 years, right? right? 
tend it would it would align with the capitalization cycle of the furniture and we wouldn't make almost any change can you even phantom doing that today i i just that blows my mind i i couldn't even conceive of that like the needs of the employees are changing like nothing stays the same for even a year no, um, no. so we have to um i think accelerate that type of workplace and make you know make sure that when businesses are investing in those spaces that they're resi resilient enough that they can flex and be organic and change with the changing needs and the ebbs and flows of the employee population and their needs and the type of work that they do and the personality of the work that they do. But I, I think also too, like, like with, you mentioned flex, I think that right now, uh, because of COVID, we're in the ultimate period of flex work that ever existed. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's nuts. It's like, this was always something which was kind of on the minds of planners. I think that planners have been aware of the potential impacts and benefits of mobility, telework, that type of thing. And they couched it in kind of business cases. Here's why it's good. Here's why it's not. And, you know, we talk about things like commute times, for instance, or we talk about uh, things like that. But I think that you know, this is kind of going back to your to your, your your last question is that what does the workplace look like? It isn't just that office now. And I don't think that it's just that work at home configuration, too. I think that there's a third component, which is going to be um, kind of a network of intermediary types of facilities where people will be able to kind of connect with each other, collaborate, because, you know, one of the things I mean, clearly, uh, I mean, in Canada, we've done, I, I, I think, a pretty good job of managing COVID and everything. I think people have been relatively disciplined. But I think part of that disciplinary process is, is that the amount of square footage, which will be kind of allocated or planned per, per, per person will go up. So that will necessitate that there will be people that won't work in the office. So then, you know, we think that that's just going to be people at home. But you know, we've heard of like innovative companies kind of coming up with intermediary solutions where people can kind of get together periodically for team meetings, that type of thing as well. So those types of spaces, it also, you know, the, the, the other cool thing is that if you can kind of, as a planning, if I'm like a strategist within an organization, I'm going to think about how do we revolve? So how do we kind of create a plan that allows people to kind of almost revolve between those three types of places. So whether that's the central office, satellite offices, or work from home. So there's a schedule to kind of do that. But I think another really big thing, um, which has been an issue for probably 20, 25 years, but I think it was Richard Florida that said this, but there's eight really, really big super cities in North America, and it's Boston, New York, Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, Vancouver, Toronto. And that's where all this kind of concentration of knowledge capital kind of like just kind of comes together. And that's great and everything. But if, if you think about the, the stress that puts on infrastructure and on people's lives too, is that this whole thing with COVID is that it's kind of created this loosening that, that first of all, the first stage, the first couple of months is that we've been at home. But if companies can successfully find those intermediary locations and define what their purpose is, um, that could be really quite, and again, I'm going back to demographics, but that could be fairly enticing for someone who wants to say, hey, you know what, this company looks like a really neat type of place where I'd want to work. So I think companies, you know, they are now forced. I've said this, I was talking to a friend about this last week, but um, COVID was not 
um, the cause of this change, but COVID is the accelerant of a lot of change that's been kind of on the back burner for a long time. But to think that the office is over, I think that that is not correct, but I think that what it's going to now necessitate is just redefining how those places work together. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the death of the office is maybe a little bit overly dramatic. And I definitely see a stronger inclination towards a hybrid and like I say, accelerating whatever your mobile, mobile strategy was. But I wanna to touch on two things that you said that I thought were really important. If you look at different generations, and let's say New York, imagine you're 20 something living in New York, you probably have a small apartment, you probably have a roommate. Working from home is not really ideal, right? Um, so again, they maybe want to go to the office or some other work location because working from home is not ideal. I'm in the same boat. I don't prefer to work at home, but some people do. It's a very personal choice. But I, I definitely see a range of choices, the hybrid model. And what I really hope the lesson that we will learn from this, from this situation with COVID is work is what you do, not where you go. And I think that is going to pave the way to a lot more hybrid options that will manifest themselves differently based on different generations and different cities. So we'll see, I think we'll see more of that. The other thing I really want to ask you about is, and you've mentioned it a few times, is, and it's something we're hearing such a backlash about right now, is around the humanity and the isolation and the mental health. And, you know, we were already on to mobile work strategies and working in different places before this. So it was starting to come up as, you know, a, an issue, but I think it's going to continue to accelerate. And I'd love to hear ideas from you as to, you know, I, I think that there's going to be a lot more focus on virtual culture and how do you build a and sustain a virtual culture? How do you maintain that social equity? Like you and I can talk like, no time has passed because we have spent so much time together and I know your style and I know you and you know me, but how do you build that up with somebody you haven't met, that social equity? So all of this forms a question to say, what are, and again, in a consultant world, you get the bird's eye view of a whole bunch of different organizations. What are some of the best things that you've seen organizations do to not lose that human contact while we're, you know, we, we will have to work to, in a virtual environment to some extent that's to be determined. What are some of the better organizations you've seen? What are the kinds of things that they're doing to maintain that humanity and that team building and that rapport and that culture and, and investment in that social equity? I think at this stage, Lori, I, I think it's still <clears throat> a question which isn't we don't fully have the answers to, although we can kind of point to things which, <clears throat> which will be important in the future. Um, I'll just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to uh, go off on a bit of a tangent because I'm actually, I'm pretty good at that um, for a second. Um, so several years ago, I did some work with the, with uh, the general services administration in, uh, in the U S and <clears throat> they were trying to roll out um, a telework program at the time. And um, one of the main problems that they had, and this is like probably 15 years ago or so, was that people, their first telework program began in about 1988. But they were complaining is that people were feeling socially isolated. Um, you know, at the time, 
you know, we didn't have really the internet and people would kind of take a fax machine and maybe another phone line and maybe like a handful of like of uh, folders and binders. But the big thing was, is that people felt disconnected from the teams that they were a part of. And they said, you know, how can we kind of give this a little bit of zip? So I think there's been this assumption over the last couple of years is that, boy, oh boy, look at all the great applications that we have. Aren't they great? We've got all these, these really good things we can connect and we can totally virtualize. But you know what's really, what I found absolutely amazing over the last couple of months is the fact that the exact same things that GSA was talking about, their workers who felt isolation 32 years ago, people are feeling the exact same thing today. So that's telling me right now that actually we're not quite there yet. But, and I think that you and I, we were talking about this offline a little bit, but if, in, if we do, if there are ways in which I think a really innovative company will take a look at the applications that they have, what are those applications that can actually move things from a mundane thing to a very engaging back and forth uh, realm? So, for instance, we were talking about, you know, I mean, I mean, younger people today and just the way that they play games and there's gamification elements that can be embedded within applications that really do work. That, you know, I, I think that companies really have to kind of look at some of the best things that are going on with that. Um, and I think too, is that the types of suites that are kind of put together, I don't think that it's just about zoom or an email there's got to be things in which people are kind of recognized in which there is that engagement where people really feel this incentive to really participate so i know that that doesn't quite answer the question but i think that these are different strands that i think a successful company will look at and you know again i'll just use an example is that my my, my son who's going into grade 12 i mean he he plays games and everything but he's a you know fairly focused young guy but he was just he was telling me himself, he said, he said, dad, you know, how much gamification is actually being used when, when you're doing work stuff? And I first thought that the question, quite frankly, was absurd. But then he kind of showed me the way that, that not only gamification works, but by having gamification embedded within a system is that it makes people say, hey, I want this, I want this. And it makes people uh, feel, I think, probably closer to the organization that they're a part of, you know, I mean, I, again, you know, if I can think of something else, but I, I, that's something that right now it's like applications and gamification are really good. And again, kind of giving those, the, those intermediary uh, location ideas, you know, uh, you know, kind of a world, I think that, that would work as well, too. You know, you bring up such great points. And I think all of our minds are pointed towards that topic right now. We're wondering about it. It's, and it's, at a different level than we've ever seen perhaps because of the amount of you know, isolation and quarantining we've had to do over the last months, it's become even more evident than it ever has. And I think anytime when we point our minds towards a problem, we, we solve it. And I think it was maybe in the subcurrent or the subconscious a little bit more before, whereas now as it's very much in our conscious mind. And as you know, when, it, you can solve problems much better when you articulate them, manifest them and put them in your conscious mind. And so what I'm really excited to see is what kinds of activities companies will do going forward to really be laser focused on building and maintaining that virtual culture as an extension of the culture that they want to achieve, whether you're in person or virtual. But I think we will be much more 
prescriptive and intentional and structured about it in the future. So I'm really quite excited to see what's going to happen in, in that particular area. If you find come across any great resources, let me know because I'd love to read about them. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I, I think like a really big thing too is that I think that this really gives an opportunity for a lot of big organizations to almost recast their culture into, into a place where, um, you know, obviously you need that trust when people are working over distance or from different locations. Um, there was an assumption before that, you know, in order to manage, I needed to have people within my line of sight. But if you can really build up that trust is that the, 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 the benefit is, is that those people who kind of come to you um, they feel a greater degree of, uh, of adhesion to to the company that they're with. And, you know, like I, I, I've, I've spoken with friends about this before too, but I mean, in North America, at least up until about 1980, you know, we work in a culture where there was loyalty on both sides is that somebody kind of joins, you know, a company and they, they work there for life and they get their gold watch and they, 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 they retire. But you know, for a number of reasons, uh, the way in which, you know, I mean, industry has changed, we move from manufacturing to knowledge, is that that trust between employer and employee has kind of, I wouldn't say completely eroded, but it's, it's changed. Is that, you know, I mean, you know, my, myself, I haven't worked for one organization, I've worked for a number of organizations. And I think that, you know, maybe this could be an opportunity for organizations too, depending upon how they create that better engagement with their employees to really kind of strengthen that bond between themselves and, re and kind of like, uh, you know, reestablish those bonds that existed uh, once upon a time between employer and employee. I, I think it's an incredible opportunity area of focus, especially since we've been so focused on employee experience. That's really come into its own. And now we can't entirely rely on the physical environment as part of how we deliver that experience. And it's really important. So I just imagine us getting much more sophisticated and grown up. I'm so excited to see where we're going to be in a year or two. But, but just on that particular um, topic, you know, Tony, one of the things I always have admired about you for years, decades now, you know, that we've known each other for a long time. Uh, I have always admired what a, a, your mind and how you are able to ideate and create and you always were talking about things that would give people you know like when I talk to my dog and you get the head tilt you know people <laughs> sort of go what is he talking about and then I would think it through you know I'd be driving home in my car and I think holy smokes that is brilliant and I, I've always really admired that about you Tony so my question for you is, what are you working on now that's cool, that everybody will be so excited about in two years from now? <laughs> well, I, um, I, I really don't fit the profile, but um, given the fact that I've worked for as many years as I have, but actually a couple of years ago, I began working on a productivity application, um, which, you know, I, I didn't plan for COVID, but it's based upon uh, the idea that, that uh, people that work within an organization that has a wide geographic footprint, they can engage with one another, they can be recognized uh, with, um, between one another. And um, it's also very much geared towards uh, knowledge-based organizations. So we remember that within the organizations that we work in, a lot of them are very, they're large, they're project-based, 
And within these things is that projects happen all the time. So someone will kind of come back from a conference and say, hey, you know, maybe we should initiate this type of a project. Okay, Lori, you're now gonna be spearheading this. And you may have zero experience. So what a lot of companies will do is that they will, oftentimes they'll hire a consultant and a consultant will kind of come in and they'll say that this is how you kind of start things off without realizing that these organizations that have wide geographic footprints, there may be somebody in the Vancouver office who's like starting this thing. And they may not realize that someone in the Chicago office has done that exact project and they finished it about a year ago. So if there's a way in which these people can kind of connect, they can collaborate, they go back and forth, that person who's helping in Chicago too, through just gamification, the incentive to kind of help, um, you know, you know, I mean, hopefully they can do things in a much more efficient way. So we've been working on this. I got together with a couple of guys uh, a couple of years ago. We got developers overseas. We got some funding. We put this thing together. Um, and right now I'm working with a really interesting technology company. They're our beta customer. Um, they're based in Toronto. And, 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 and check this out. Is it they are spread out in places like Zurich, uh, Copenhagen, Chicago, Lisbon, um, and it's a completely virtual company. One of the things that they're working through right now, the big challenge is, is that how do they kind of create that connection between people too, uh, to, to, to really virtualize that whole human aspect that we've been speaking about too. So it's not just my application, it's choosing different applications that can really help them out. But I think that their demographics are also a little bit younger as well too. So we're talking about uh, Generation Y, Generation Z, or a few Generation Z starting up. But could this be uh, what, what companies look like in the future? I'm not sure, we're, we're at this transition point, but the application that I'm working on right now, I think it's really, it, it, it's been born out of, you know, an entire career of kind of watching the way people interact with one another uh, and, uh, and the way in which people are kind of rewarded and recognized. And I think that recognition is gonna be a really, really big thing. So that's really occupying a whole lot of my time right now. Uh, my, my kids often tell me that I'm way too old to be doing it, but I'm still having a good time. So I guess I'm still doing the right thing. That sounds fascinating because what, another observation that I've had over the last few months is, well, I'll start a little bit before then. My, one of my biggest pet peeves is email. It is insidious, right? Like you get two, 300 emails a day. You can't always, and if you don't keep on top of it, you're underwater and further underwater, it's terrible. And it always reminded me like a, a broken game of tennis where you volley an email over and then you volley it back and then somebody copies other people. And it's just, it's a really ineffective way to communicate. So I think we've gone a baby step forward with some really incredible collaboration tools, you know, whether it be video like this one, Zoom or Slack or Teams and, you know, some of the tools that we're using now. But what it sounds like you're describing is even beyond that. So I'm really excited that we're starting to look at other options that go beyond email because I just do not find email effective. And it's proven that, you know, we can collaborate and interact around other types of technology platforms that make us much, much more effective. And I, th I think so too. I, I, I think that the, another, uh, there's an interesting analogy too, is that, you know, when, when the auto industry first began is that there was like, you know, hundreds of car companies. So when the industry figured out that they 
got to really to really move it forward. They had to really consolidate. You think about the number of brands which there are today. So in North America, traditionally, there was like three big brands, but that was really a lot of companies coming together. So another thing to really kind of look out for uh, technology wise is that there are companies that are making very interesting acquisitions that are creating these really interesting suite of products, which can be deployed. And you, you mentioned before, you know, an example would be like Microsoft Teams, but that's kind of, you know, combining the best of, um, you know, different applications. But there's a lot of those companies right now that are more and more these small companies that are coming up with really cool ideas. The ultimate landing place for them is to really kind of find the way in which they fit with other applications and really meet these kind of enterprise needs. And, you know, and, and it's funny because, you know, we were talking previously, uh, you know, just about different generations, but younger people, Generation Z, they're so savvy in terms of like just the way in which they can kind of interact and navigate between applications, how things work, how they swipe, how they do everything. These people are going to represent, so Generation Y and Generation Z, so the millennials and Generation Z are going to constitute 75% of the working population by 2025. Yeah. So I think that a lot of us really have to kind of plan for that. What are those applications going to look like? Uh, and, and what are going to be the logical places where different applications come together and they kind of complement each, each other? We, we spoke offline. We could, we could speak for 11 hours about this, but <laughs> we, we'll, we'll kind of limit our, our things. But there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of change yeah. to come. You're so true. And I never really thought about the choices of technology that you use to enable your company as a, a way to attract, make it a destination for talent of a yep. certain generation. But you're absolutely right. You're absolutely yep. right. They would look for how progressive the tools and technologies are. But, the other, but the other thing too is that, is that don't underestimate that the views that they have of say Lake Ontario or, or, or the proximity that they have to their favorite restaurant there's going to be, there's got to be some hybrid solution where people are still getting that incredible experience that we got when we worked downtown with the combination of that flexibility and that being able to kind of navigate technology. Because if you can find that intersection between those points, that's a pretty good place to work. Like that's, that, that would be fantastic. So I think that, again, it's the impetus for really big companies to really kind of think about how do we kind of like re rethink ourselves in such a way that we can kind of find that meeting point. Because if they do, I think they've got a magic formula. Wow, just Tony, honestly, so many quotables from today. It's just such a pleasure to have you as a guest. And thank you for reminding me of one of my favorite books by also a fellow Canadian, Malcolm Gladwell, called um, The Tipping Point, about a series of events that add up to like huge changes in, in history. And I think we are in one of those moments in time right now where something is going to happen and and thanks for having some fun with me today on sharing and exploring and and you know trying to think of new predictions of things that are going to happen going forward and i think they're pretty solid pretty informed and you do have a pretty good track record tony so i'm really excited to see uh, some of your predictions and your ideas come true in the not too distant future thank you so much for being a guest today um any any parting words that you want to share tony before we wrap up no, although th this kind of reminds me of our one-on-ones that we used to have when I worked for you or whatever, because we, we, we generally find ourselves going off on a tangent. So it's a really a pleasure to be here and I appreciate you, uh, you having me. We always have such great conversations, Tony. It's such a pleasure to, uh, 
you know, work alongside a, a like-minded person, but I really admire your pioneering and your pathfinding for so many of us. So keep going. I'm Thanks really very much. to see what you work on next. Okay, until okay. next. Thanks, Thanks. Tony. Thank Take you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast. Hey, if you have questions or comments about this episode, reach out to us via our website at www.leadinginnovationatwork.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit like and subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. You can find me, Lori Rowlandson, on LinkedIn or via my website at laurierowlandson.com. That's L-O-R-R-I-R-O-W-L-A-N-D-S-O-N.com. Thank you for listening.